Our text this morning uh, comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, which can be found on page 807 in the um, Bible in the chair in front of you. Um, By the way, if you do not have a copy of the Scriptures or you would like a copy, feel free to take one of those home with you. Uh, We used to consistently announce that, and I was even reminded this week that please take a copy. It's, It's God's Word, and we would be glad for you to take that. Again, we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Hear the very words of our Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen. We start this uh, new brief series in the Beatitudes. Uh, Remember, last summer we did a a slow walk through the Lord's Prayer, and and this summer there'll be a a slow walk through the Beatitudes, and when I I grow up, I'll preach through the whole Gospel of Matthew. Uh, But right now we're just chunking parts of it, just slowing down in a little mini-series to talk about this little section of the Sermon on the Mount that has to do with the cultivation of Christian character. So, as uh, Chaz read verse 1, this is not only Jesus uh, speaking, but uh, the whole Sermon on the Mount is uh, addressed to anybody in the crowd that's there, but he's specifically referencing his disciples. Uh, to say this, this is an expectation for those who... Uh, call themselves believers or followers of Jesus, these particular uh, characteristics. There is uh, some sense of a structure and a flow uh, through the Beatitudes. Uh, One of my uh, professors in New Testament would say that the first three, uh, poor in spirit, uh, mourning, or being meek, are about Beatitudes of need. Uh, The center of all the Beatitudes is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Uh, Then the last ones are Beatitudes of action, uh, mercy, purity, peacemaking, even while being persecuted. Uh, So while there is that uh, sense of flow, uh, we're just going to look at the first one this morning, and this may or may not be our outline uh, each week. Uh, There is not an outline in your bulletin. Uh, That doesn't mean I don't have one. But it means that while I was gone all day on Tuesday at Presbytery and Jamie was printing the bulletins on Wednesday because of the graduation, I did not have one on Wednesday. Uh, the outline is our character, our promise, and our call. Uh, so firstly, we need to look at what our character uh, should be like as a disciple of Christ. Here, uh, that's defined as uh, poverty in spirit. I can't define that any better than uh, John Stott did. He said, to acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy before God, for we are sinners under the holy wrath of God, and deserving nothing but His judgment. We have nothing to offer, nothing to plead, 
nothing with which to buy the favor of heaven. Spiritually, that is poverty. I can't do anything to save myself. I didn't initiate the relationship with the Lord that I have. I bring nothing to the table between the Lord and myself except the sin that needs to be dealt with. And there's much discussion uh, regarding, well, could he possibly talk about physical or material poverty? But uh, clearly the focus here is, is spiritual. That the beatitude, the beatitudes they start with, an attitude of poverty and spirit and recognizing that is our reality. Uh, a Christian is someone who recognizes their own spiritual poverty and grows in awareness of their sin and their need of grace. Poverty of, of spirit could be similar to meekness or humility. Maybe thinking of less of ourselves or things like that, but that's another, that's another beatitude. Uh, blessed are the meek. What's the difference? Uh, Puritan theologian, Pastor Thomas Watson says, uh, they differ as the cause and effect. Humility is the sweet spice that grows from poverty of spirit. If I want to be humble and meek, if I want to be merciful, I have to start with who I am and, and my own need that is so desperate before the Lord. Uh, Catholic theologian Peter Kreeft uh, he wrote a book long ago called Back to Virtue, where he actually contrasted the Beatitudes with the uh, deadly sins. And he said the poverty of spirit would be the opposite of pride. Therefore, the character of a Christian obviously can't be persistent and consistent pride. There has to be the willingness to constantly recognize in our own life, spiritually, a dependence, a vulnerability, a call to contentment with everything that we have, that we don't have to constantly earn our favor or prove ourselves, because we can't. But ultimately, the poverty of spirit constantly pushes us to recognize we need to be forgiven. I need to be forgiven. I'm a sinner. And that has to not only be dealt with uh, initially in my life and regeneration and conversion, but think about what I just said. This is a, a Christian's character. As Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, all of it is actually aimed at the believer, at the disciple, to say, not, not only did I recognize that one time that I was poor in spirit when I was saved or converted, but actually I'm constantly in dependence because I'm recognizing, as we already confessed corporately for Romans chapter 6, I'm, I'm a sinner. That may not be my identity any longer, but that's a struggle and so therefore, the rest of our life is no longer to be categorized as prideful, but impoverished. 
as forgiven sinners. But the, each one of the Beatitudes that we're going to look at uh, each one of these weeks, there's this kind of a paradox. Uh, because especially with these first three, we see this poverty of spirit. There's so much uh, rel- relinquishing of my own power, my own authority, maybe my own reputation, my ability to control my circumstances about what people think about me. But there's the paradox, because the promise that's attached to this beatitude is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the promise. That the culture will tell us, you can't be poor in anything. Materially, uh, physically, spiritually. You can't gain anything by doing that. But what Jesus is actually telling His disciples is the opposite. That as we grow in this character, poverty and spirit, we remember this promise. That when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we have to recognize two things. There's the now and the not yet of that promise. The paradox is that as we grow in poverty, we actually recognize we have everything we we ever need now. The promise is the kingdom of heaven. Now we're already given membership into this kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Our confession of faith uh, says that the church is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a reality today. That's a reality right now. If you're in church membership in the the visible church, yours is the kingdom of heaven right now, all of its benefits. There is now a separation between the church uh, and the world, as it were. There are two, two kingdoms, in a sense, against each other. The kingdom is spreading and will eventually encompass all the earth when Christ does return. But he's saying, but yours is the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So again, the paradox is that as we recognize our own need as Christians, what Jesus is saying is, but you've got this whole other kingdom that is not of this world, that is growing, that is more powerful, although it is spiritual. We don't have to chase other stuff. We don't have to worry about the future, or wonder if we are loved and cherished by God based on whatever providential circumstances we are in. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. We've, we've already received it. At least the, the first fruits of it, the down payment. We recognize this every time we talk to someone who's transferring into our church membership from another like-minded church or someone who's professing their faith when we say that you must rest and receive upon Him alone for salvation as He's offered in the gospel. Rest and receive. Now, yours is the kingdom of heaven. How on earth could this two things be true though? How could a disciple of Jesus who's a sinner and brings nothing to the table receive anything, much less the kingdom of heaven? It is not of this world. I bring nothing but poverty. I can't buy anything. Here's the answer from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You're no longer eternally spiritually poor. Even as you and I grow in the character of poverty and spirits, growing in our dependence upon Him, seeing more of our sin and seeking His grace even more, what the Lord Jesus is saying to His disciples in a sense is, you've already been made rich. You don't need anything else. How? Well, Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 8 that in a sense, Jesus Himself, who's giving this sermon, became poor in spirit. But that begs the question, we just said that poor in spirit was related to sin. How, how could Paul say in 2 Corinthians 8 that he became poor, that we might become rich? It's not because he sinned. It's because he left glory and he became a man. And he suffered his whole life on earth. That was his poverty. Dying on the cross in utter humiliation. He had passively obeyed in all of the suffering of his life. But he had also actively obeyed his father's commands completely. And he kept the entire law so that on the cross, he gave us his righteousness. The riches of his grace. He took on the debt, the penalty of all of our sins, which made him, in essence, poor to his father's eyes, and he was died and buried. But then he, ra- he was raised on the third day, so that right now, all believers have received the kingdom of heaven. However, I must say that, that, that it hasn't been completed yet. At least you'd like to think not, but the way your life may or may not be going as a believer. So there is also the, the not yet of this receiving of the kingdom. It's here, but, but it's not complete. And that's recognized somewhat in the very first uh, word in the, all of the Beatitudes, where it says blessed. That can be translated uh, happy, uh, just like the Hebrew equivalent in Psalm chapter 1. The blessed, happy. Uh, that is not, in essence, talking simply about what we would call happiness. Again, John Stott says, uh, he's declaring not that we may feel uh, what we may feel like, as in happy, but what God thinks of them and what on that account they are. They are blessed. And again, I appreciate Creve who defines blessed as well uh, when he says it's an objective state, not a subjective feeling, and it's a permanent State, uh, But then he says, suffering is the crucial test, separating happiness from blessedness. Suffering can be a part of blessedness, but not a part of happiness. So as we are, are in a sense, freed from eternal poverty of spirit and the forgiveness of our sins, our, our circumstances don't change our blessedness where we may, may be fighting temptation. 
Uh, we may be fighting evil. Uh, we, we, re- we recognize that, especially when we get into the venture of uh, church planting. We're certainly fighting real evil when we plant churches. But Jesus is saying, you're still blessed, not because your sanctification and growth and holiness is going perfectly, but because I've deemed you blessed already based on what I've done for you. Revelation chapter uh, 3, towards the end, uh, Jesus says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So in essence, Jesus is the king. He's, He's the one who can give the kingdom because he reigns as supreme over the kingdom. But he recognizes with his disciples when he talks about his kingdom, while we have already received it in the forgiveness of our sins, there is still going to be struggle, spiritually speaking, in our growth and holiness, in our ability to recognize our own sin and need of forgiveness. He even uh, follows up his words of institution with regards to the Lord's Supper by saying, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. But it's coming. It's already a reality. If you look at the local church, there are people, hopefully, who are growing in character in the, not only the fruit of the Spirit, but in, in the Beatitudes and recognizing that we were completely eternally impoverished spiritually. And there are, there are people that Jesus has forgiven of their sins eternally already. And therefore, the kingdom is, is at hand. It's here because Jesus brought it. But he's established it in his resurrection and sent his disciples, these people, to plant churches, to extend his kingdom. That's a promise. He's already kept it. He's already started it now. And it it will come to fruition in the not yet future. But I think, finally, in each one of these Beatitudes, he's not simply making a statement of, of what our character should be like. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. We've defined, in a sense, what that means. We've talked about the promise that we only have to do this, in a sense, for a little while. We already have received the answer to our poverty, but we'll get more than just a down payment of our inheritance in the future. So what is our call? It's actually to cultivate this beatitude in our life right now. I'm supposed to be poor in spirit as a Christian now until he comes back to bring his father's kingdom. We're supposed to be poor in spirit. Now, there's a a foil here. I already mentioned Revelation 3. Uh, In verses 17 through 22 of Revelation 3, remember Jesus uh, is 
giving warnings to some specific churches. And there's one in Laodicea. We will call it a a nominal church or a lukewarm church. And Jesus has this charge against that church. He says, "For, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. Well, that's a warning to the Laodiceans, but it also is a warning to us, disciples. That was a, that's a church he's talking to, to say, hey, wait a minute, you've, you've lost your first love. You, you, you proclaimed to uh, have known me, but, but now you're seeking your identity and your wealth, your, your, your value, your purpose, and all these other things and what people think of you and what you have and what you own. But you'll say, well, I'm, I'm rich. And Jesus is warning them to say, you're not rich. I'm the only one who has riches. And it may or may not be what the world calls wealth, but it's all the wealth there is. It's all the wealth that there needs to be. And we can't take it with us. And so this warning is, is I think, how we cultivate poverty of spirit now. To recognize that my identity is in Christ. My joy is in Christ because 2 Corinthians 8, chapter 9. He's the one who's made me rich. Therefore, nothing else will. Nothing else can. And if anything or anybody promises me wealth outside of the Lord Jesus, it's a lie. And everything that we have is a gift. Not something that I've earned or that I deserve. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Everything that I have is a gift. It's a grace. It's a mercy. But as believers, we, we struggle to continually recognize that reality about ourselves. Again, Watson says it better than me. He is in the worst sense poor who has no sense of his poverty. That's exactly what Jesus was saying to the Laodiceans who were professing believers, but who said, I'm rich. Look at, look at what I have. Look at what, what I've accumulated. Look at what everybody thinks about me. And Jesus said, wretchedness. That's not your identity. That's not where ultimate value is. What happens if you lose all of that? But you can't lose me. What does this look like in our own life? To, to cultivate this beatitude of poverty in spirit. It's not to continually think we, we're losing our salvation. We need to be rebaptized or anything like that. But it is, in essence, repenting faster. Forgiving other people faster and more often. Being willing and able to say, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I've messed up. 
almost, there's almost nothing that could be more countercultural in this moment than for a disciple of Christ to, to evidence the poverty of spirit in recognizing I've brought nothing to the table spiritually, and yet I've been forgiven. And the rest of our life, a curriculum that I use for leadership development, gospel-centered life, makes this point. The rest of my life as a believer is growing more and more aware of my own sin and what it took for Jesus to forgive it. But when we do that, the cross grows larger and larger. So does our gratitude and our thankfulness for the Lord. The Laodiceans had lost a love of Christ. And a way for us to not is to be regularly aware of how sinful we still are, but how much we've been forgiven. And then to turn to one another in the church and say, I repent. Forgive me. Or, I I forgive you. That's growth in the poverty of spirit. Perfect example of poverty in spirit is from Luke 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You might remember. The Pharisee, standing by himself, uh, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is what it looks like to have the the character of poverty and spirit. Let us rejoice in that growth in our own life as we, in a moment, will sing this verse from Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior or I die. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we rejoice as those who have been washed, and we recognize in our poverty of spirit that we need washing. We need not look at everybody else's sin, but we need to look at our own and say, how wretched am I without you, Jesus? And yet, you became poor that I would become rich. Enable this thanksgiving, this gratitude to grow in our lives, to be evidenced by those around us who do not have this hope that they might be captivated by what ultimate poverty and riches are all about. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.